Hello and welcome to Pod's Own Country, the Yorkshire Post political podcast. I'm Rob Parsons, the Yorkshire Post political editor, and we've got a great uh, guest for you this week. We're talking to uh, Judith Blake, who a lot of people in Leeds will know as the uh, leader of the council for five years. And she earlier this year, she was elevated to the House of Lords as Baroness Blake of Leeds. And we'll be hearing all about how she is finding it in her new environment, what issues she's tackling, uh, what things she's getting to grips with. So it's a, a fascinating interview. So you stick around for that. But before we get on to that, um, why don't we have a bit of a chat with our new uh, Westminster correspondent in her second week now, Caitlin Doherty, who last week was pounding the streets of Batley and Spen on the trail of the uh, various by-election candidates. But this week, uh, Caitlin, you've been tackling a completely different issue, haven't you? It's um, the Australian trade deal and the impact it's going to have on Yorkshire farmers. And it's it's quite a big deal, I think, for people who aren't sort of familiar with it. Farming is uh, the, the income from farming to the Yorkshire economy uh, was worth it's in the hundreds of millions per year. So it's a massive deal. And I think the concern is what impact this trade deal is going to have uh, on it. So d- just take us through who you've been talking to this week and what they've been what they've been saying. Um, so, yes, among all of the on-lockdown madness and football madness, I have uh, managed to find some time this week to speak to people on both sides of the house about uh, the Australia trade deal and what it means for farming in the UK and in Yorkshire. Um, so the government, I've spoken to Liz Trust, Trade Secretary, and she was very optimistic about the deal, talking about how it will um, open up different markets for um, high quality Yorkshire and British produce. Um, you know, different markets in not only in Australia, but in the wider Asia Pacific region where there is a real um, a real desire for high quality products among the growing middle classes. Uh, I also spoke to Luke Pollard on the Labour side, so the Shadow Environment Secretary, and he was telling me um, that he has heard concerns that produce um, that arrives in the UK from Australia could end up undercutting British farmers and British producers. Um, because of it being produced more cheaply and to different animal welfare standards to that in the UK. Um, One other really interesting point he made to me um, was that people may not even realise that this is a choice that they're making. So whereas a person can stand in the supermarket and look at two products and go, "Mm, that one may be cheaper, but I want to buy the British version. That's not the only way that we consume food, you know, that we eat at cafes, we eat at restaurants. And he was telling me that he expects the first way that Australian produce will make its way into the British market is by making its way into the restaurant and cafe supply chain. And, you know, if we eat at cafes and restaurants, then we may well be undercutting um, British producers and British farmers by consuming that food without even realising. Yeah, and... I guess, as well as the concern about the Australian trade deal itself, I, I think it's one of the other concerns that people have is sort of going forward, whether this opens up the potential for other trade deals, which could have a sort of similar knock-on effect on uh, yeah, Yorkshire and British British farmers. Is that is that right? Yeah. So the Australia trade deal is the first trade deal so far that's not been um, what Luke Pollard referred to as a rollover. Um, it's the first trade deal that's been um, constructed from scratch rather than just rolling over and keeping very similar to the terms that we had when um, the UK was in the EU. There are still lots of trade deals with lots of very big and very influential nations that need to be struck 
you know, the US, Canada, Brazil. Um, so I think that there are concerns that if, you know, these are the terms that Australia have got, then all of these other nations are going to want terms that are just as good. You know, they're going to want the same access that Australia has got. So I think the phrase he used to me um, was, is it opening the door um, to undercutting them? If farmers are going to be undercut by the Australian trade deal, is it likely that they're going to be undercut by all the other trade deals that will follow? And what will that cumulative effect be? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a pretty big concern, isn't it? And you, you've, you've spoken to uh, Liz Truss, the uh, International Trade Secretary, uh, mm-hmm. about this issue to you know try and alleviate some of the concerns that farmers have. What what was what kind of points was she making? I think one of the points she was very, very clear to make was that produce from the UK and produce from Yorkshire is among the best in the world and there is huge demand out there for it. And she was really keen to make a point about um, the growing middle classes in uh, the Asia-Pacific region. The opportunities that could be opened up to the UK if we join the CPTPP, which is a mouthful to say, and I did get it uh, did end up falling over my words a couple of times this morning, but that is the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership. Um, Easy for you to say. Very, yes. Um, which is a group of 11 countries, um, including Australia, in um, in the Asia-Pacific region, um, you know, where there is a growing middle class and where there is real high demand um, for high-quality produce like like that, which is produced in Britain. Okay, well, that's uh, that's good. Good to know. And did she talk about sort of the the prospects of uh, British farmers, Yorkshire farmers, being un- under undercut, and like what were her assurances on on that point? Um, she was really keen to point out that um, a lot of the the amount of beef and lamb that we are importing from Australia at the moment is a tiny, tiny proportion um, of the annual consumption of uh, beef and lamb in the UK. Um, So, for example, um, she gave me some figures. Uh, The UK currently consumes over a million tonnes of beef every year, of which 320,000 tonnes is imported from the EU. And in year one of the trade deal with Australia, the amount of beef that can be imported from Australia is going to be restricted to 35,000 tonnes. So it's really quite a small amount. compared to the amount that we consume. I think the point that she was trying to make there was that as a market share, it will still be very, very small. So there will still be a lot of demand for British produce. I suppose that the importance from of, of the Australian trade deal, both for pe- those who support it and those who are worried about it, is more symbolic, really, isn't it, than it actually is about you know the quantity of uh, of produce coming into the into the country because like you say it's coming from the other side of the world and if you compare the amount that's coming from australia to say how much we uh, import from the likes of ireland it's a very tiny proportion and so the impact on our farmers will 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 not be that big but obviously you know for, for brexiteers the ability to strike trade deals was uh, you know and and the, the the freedom that comes with that was a large part of uh, you know the reason why we, uh, the country, voted for Brexit in the first place. So I guess you know it's very much in her interests to uh, make that make that work. So the uh, in terms of the nuts and bolts of this, the the Liz Truss was before the International Trade Select Committee earlier this week, and she said that the final trade deal with Australia will be fully drafted by the end of the year. 
the legal text is still in the process of being hammered out and we hope that we'll get uh, the full text of that in the in the coming weeks and months so i guess it's at that point that you know people will be uh, going through it with a, a fine teeth comb and and you know looking for discrepancies and you know possible concerns that might have a knock on effect on uh, on farmers in our area so there'll be plenty uh, more to say on this issue so thank you thank you caitlin and let's uh, go on now to hear a bit from today's guest So the debates and votes that take place there may not have quite as high a profile as those featuring elected MPs, but the House of Lords and the nearly 800 people who have a seat there play a vital role in British politics. The second chamber of UK Parliament plays a crucial role in examining bills, questioning government action and investigating public policy, and can make life very difficult for the government on controversial pieces of legislation such as last year's Brexit bill. Um, among the latest additions to its ermine-clad ranks is our guest today, Judith Blake, or to give her her, her full title, Baroness Blake of Leeds, who was elevated to the House of Lords in March. Prior to that, she served as leader of Leeds City Council since 2015, and before that was deputy leader and has been a ward councillor in Leeds for 24 years. She'll have at least one friendly face in Parliament, as her daughter Olivia has been the Labour MP for Sheffield Hallam since 2019, but I'm really fascinated to know what it's like for someone who is new to this historic institution, what what you've made of it so far. So, Judith, welcome to the podcast. It's nice to have you on. Hello. Hi. Good to be here. Like, Thank you very much. So um, just as a starting point, for people who aren't familiar with the process, you were uh, nominated earlier this year and obviously you're a Labour, a Labour peer in, in the Lords. How does someone end up getting elevated to the House of Lords? What, what steps did you have to go through for that for that process? Um, so, so basically, I, I um, was carrying on my normal business uh, last November, I think, and um, working from home, obviously, because of, of the height of the uh, restrictions. And um, I took a call from um, someone in the Labour leader's office. I thought it was about business we were, we were doing with the front bench on the response to COVID and um, could have, you know, really... Could have been knocked over when the request came. Um, uh, Keir and Angela would like uh, to nominate you for the House of Lords. Would you be prepared to consider it? And it was that's where it came from. There was no discussion at all before. Um, and um, I sort of put the phone down. And then, sort of twenty four hours later, I thought, Oh goodness, I'd better go back and say yes. Yes, I would be interested, which was so. Uh, so I did that, and uh, then there is a, a process to go through, and you have to fill in um, certain forms, and it goes through um, a committee um, within Number Ten, and they give approval, and then um, it 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 again was very suddenly announced just before Christmas. We weren't expecting it to come through until possibly in conjunction with the New Year's Honours list, which is a separate list, but. Um, then I got a call late Monday afternoon, evening, just before Christmas, saying, oh, guess what? It's going to be announced tomorrow. So um, I had to go through all of the thing because, of course, you're told, um, you know, you're not allowed to discuss this with anyone. So I had to go through this incredible period on the Tuesday morning of just warning key people in my political life, especially, that this was about to be announced. So it was quite dramatic. And um I have to say that the reaction from people across Leeds has been phenomenal. And I think it is 
part of that recognition that there needs to be more diversity in the House of Lords. There needs to be strong local voices from the North in particular. I think there's a recognition that they that that, that, that is a gap. Um, and um, I um, then obviously took a decision that I would need to step down as leader of the council. So I took the decision to do that um, at the February council so that the new um, um, leader who'd been selected by the Labour group could then take over, pick up the budget and move forward um, with a very positive agenda going forward. So it just coincided that it was uh, because of the delay to the elections from last year, it was my year to be elected this year. So again, I took the decision that it would be best um, for everyone for me to step down as a councillor and and the, the timing just actually did work very well from that point of view and um, um, the first thing I had to do was to go down and be physically in, actually introduced into the house it's a requirement that you have to go down there and go through the ceremony actually in person so I did that just before Easter and then after Easter I went down again and made my maiden speech which, which is another requirement to fully participate in the business of the house and um, I've been on a very steep learning curve work you know listening very carefully and um, very pleased to be on the in the shadow front bench team with responsibility for local government and um, you know it's there's a huge job to do and it's fascinating actually really starting to get to understand the importance of the work that happens in the household it's not off, often given perhaps the profile that it deserves but it does fulfill a very important function in terms of making sure that the legislation going through um, is scrutinized that there are improvements made and that there, there are numerous occasions where the debates in the house of lords actually um, have resulted in changes being made to legislation and real improvements as a result. So it's uh, it's a very different way of working, but um, equally fascinating. And um, uh, it, it's great to be able to take all of my experience from being a councillor in Leeds, being a, a, you know, from Leeds, you know, born and bred in Leeds. Um, and then my experience obviously going through to being leader. And um, I think it is very important to get that real hands-on experience into the legislative program. Um, I think, you know, too often perhaps we've seen legislation coming through that hasn't really fully assessed the impact it's going to have on the ground on real people. So, you know, there's a there's a there's a huge job to do and um but I'm very proud to be there as Baroness Blake of Leeds. It means a great deal being able to have that as as uh, my title and be able to you know legit legitimately um hopefully stand up and talk about what it's like to to live and work and play in the north of england yeah absolutely and uh, yeah the 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 relative lack of uh, representatives from the north is something that we've uh, looked at before, and it is kind of a quite an interesting issue. I mean, before you uh, got the got the call from the leader's office, was it was it ever something that you'd entertained or thought might might happen? Like, did did you have a a view of the lords prior to prior to getting the invite, thinking, oh, maybe this is something I I could be interested in at, at some point? Well, um, as you know, I stood twice for Parliament, and um, 
you know, it was just one of those bad timing that I I chose um, that you know my home my own constituency Leeds Northwest, um, but it was that at the time of the furore about tuition fees and um, we lost university seats all over the country in 2005 and then again obviously in 2010. So I guess I'd always had a thought about going into Parliament and and when I didn't manage to do that through the House of Commons. It, you know, I guess it did occur to me that perhaps there was another way to have that involvement. But I, um, I have to be honest, I wasn't aware of um, of there being a process to go through to achieve it. So I guess I, I had my head down. And over the last year, you know, every, you know, all of my waking hours really were consumed with dealing with the the, the crisis of the pandemic and working to make sure that Leeds's response to the to COVID was um, as as good as it could be on behalf of the people who who live in Leeds. Um, so I guess my mind was was not really on 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 it. But um, when when I did get the call, it it felt like um, a natural progression and perhaps something that I could continue to take my areas of real interest and um, make sure that that we could have an influence at a national level. I think what I've noticed over the last year is more and more, um, you know, I've always been a, a very strong advocate of devolution and a real sense that you can't run many of the policy areas from Westminster. So I guess taking that into Westminster and, and really trying to get a more sensible approach to how we actually run matters of significant importance around the country whilst you hold the national ring on on policy but make come up with the mechanisms so that it can be delivered appropriately in local areas continues to be a, a you know real passion of mine and something that i hope i can really start to have an influence on yeah absolutely and so what other areas have you been sort of focusing on since you joined joined the Lords? What have been the big uh, areas of interest for you? So um, um, at, the mo- at the moment, you tend to be um, guided by the legislation that's going through. So obviously um, in the local government area, one of the areas that I'm starting to get involved in is the whole area around the um, the planning legislation that the government is bringing in. Um, the other big piece of um, legislation going through the House of Lords at the moment is the is around the Environment Bill, and obviously there's, there's real crossover there. So working, um, discussing closely with colleagues about making sure that there's some joined up thinking. I think that's the thing. The the experience from local government has been that we achieve more when we work together. We work across silos. So, you know, the other big area of work that I have been involved in in Leeds is around the children's agenda and I'm still um, involved in um, work around that and then and obviously working closely with the shadow education um, front bench spokesperson um, um, uh, on that issue so there there are all sorts of areas of interest but there someone said to me actually in in Westminster there are all party parliamentary groups on just about every possible area of interest that you can imagine so i'm looking out to to how which ones i should get involved in and uh, i think that'll be a lot easier 
after September when everyone is actually back on the estate because at the moment it's um, incredibly quiet. There are very few people who are actually down there physically. So building the relationships is something that I'm looking forward to when everyone is is actually back there and the the work of the house fully starts to fully function again. And, and you'll be presumably continuing to split your time between Leeds and London, sort of going back and back and forth. Oh, no, absolutely. Going. absolutely. I see very much, um, you know, this is, you know, I'm Leeds, Leeds resident and, uh, and, and it's so important to keep contact with your roots. I think when you take on these roles, because I think that's the value um, of uh, people like myself going in to the house of Lords that you keep people who are rooted and understand what it's like to live and work and the challenges that people are facing at the moment are so enormous and how we can actually make sure that anything we bring forward reflects the needs of um, of people um, who who have been really up against it certainly over the last um, the last year or so it's just been so tough for people and will continue to be so I'm afraid the impact of what we've what we've been going through is very real yeah it, it really is and I mean um just when when I watch uh Lord's debates it's uh you know you, you get a sense of the it being a very quite different culture to the the commons like less sort of party political and not quite as partisan I mean how have you in terms of the you know the debates and like just yeah, going into into the lords and sort of taking part in it did it feel intimidating or like were you sort of aware of the traditions and the you know the need to to get things right like how, how was it as a as a newcomer to to the lord sort of getting used to everything that that comes with it yes and, and i think i'm still going through that process of you know every day there's something new that that happens that i haven't been aware of but um i have to say that um everyone has been incredibly supportive and there is um i think everyone is very um supportive of particularly of new members and realizing that they've been through it and they know that there are ways of working that perhaps aren't immediately obvious to the to newcomers and there are forms of address that you have to use in the in debates for example that you have to learn and, and those are things that um um come forward but um it is it is more, uh, it, there is um, much less of the cut and thrust that you get in, even in, you know, obviously in the House of Commons, but even in the council chamber. So it is a different style, um, very conscious of um, people taking part in the debates who have an enormous wealth of um, experience and knowledge and listening to the debates and, and the, the quality of the contributions is is really is really encouraging and um i look forward to to doing more of that and getting involved but actually i haven't found standing up in the chamber intimidating in the way that perhaps i would have expected beforehand and everyone is is incredibly polite and uh, and and supportive as i've said well that's well that's good to know do, i mean do you, you mentioned the cut and thrust of you know, local politics. Like, do, you, do you miss that a little bit? Sort of, uh, with obviously, you know, some debates in, in Leeds City Council often would get a bit bit feisty. Do you, do you think, sort of think fondly back to those back to those days? I think I think the difference is that working in the council, you're very much part of the group that you're in, 
and there's that sense of camaraderie and everyone pulling together and you know um as leader de de developing the cabinet and the team the teams of scrutiny and working with everyone it it's so it's a very different experience i think um you know going into the house laws it's you are more working on your own and you don't have the same levels of um, support in that way um i think i'd have found it far more of a a jolt or a shock if i'd gone from the normal um, experience of business before the pandemic but obviously you have you have to remember that you know i've been working from home as everyone else has for you know 15 months or so so it's been a very different different way of working so i guess i've gone through an adjustment period coping with that um which i guess has uh, taught me different experiences different ways of working but yeah i you know i i do miss um i do miss elements of it i miss not directly re representing my constituents as well you know that's uh, that's another very different part of the way we work as well and um and of course the massive difference is um i won't be standing for election again so that brings a whole different experience to there's the, there's a life cycle of, in a sense of business of how you work around elections and and that um that isn't as as directly applicable to me in the way that, that it's informed you know everything i've done for the last um, 24 years as you quite rightly said at the beginning yeah and i mean it's obviously when some people talk about the lords they cite the lack of you know elections uh, as as one of the reasons why as an institution it needs to be reformed i mean what's your view on on how the lords functions at the moment is it is it working quite well do you think or are there bits of it that need that, that ought to change you know to become fit for purpose for the 21st century yeah i think i think with all institutions there is a, a a case for reform and i think that's very much where we are i think i'll probably reserve my judgments on on the full working of the place for a little while yet if that's okay because it, because it's so unusual at the moment and i know what i've experienced over the last two or three months is not a normal experience of how the business works so I'm more than happy to come back at a later time to discuss that in more detail. But it is a very live debate and it's one that needs to be taken seriously. And I think my overwhelming view is that the second chamber is a very important part of our democracy. How you achieve representation within there, I think, is is an area that, that obviously is a lot, part of a live debate at the moment. Yeah, I think you're right there. And looking back at your uh, your six years as as lead city council leader before you were elevated, I mean, I can think back to a few some of the bigger things that have happened. Obviously, the floods in 2015 and the the timetable, the rail timetable chaos in 2018, and obviously, latterly the the pandemic. I mean, what 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 sort of experiences stick out for you from your your time as leader? Yes, I think. Um... I think you know that dealing with the crises is is something that you immediately go to. And my first uh, contribution in Grand Committee in the House of Lords was talking about uh, planning and um, flooding. So it was really good to be able to bring that direct experience of what it's like to actually deal with such a, a such a, a, a shocking crisis that had such a incredible impact on so many um, people. Um, but there, there, there have been some some really 
um, uh, incredible moments. And I think, you know, following on from when I was deputy leader, being um, being able to um, continue the work we did around children's services and moving from, you know, when we came back into control in 2010 from inheriting an inadequate service from the coalition that was running Leeds before and moving that through um, and continuing to make sure that we we've got we we continue to invest in in those services that make such a difference for for vulnerable children in the city has been something that I'm, I've been very proud to be involved with and and very proud that it, that is continuing um, after I've moved on um, to to a, a different place. But I think looking back, the work that we do to support vulnerable people in the city. Is, is is something that we can really stand up and be proud about. Um, making sure that we um, put things into exam into practice it in the council itself. So introducing the real living wage into the council and working with um, all of the um, partners around the city to to make sure that Leeds steps up to the plate and recognises that you know everyone who invests in the city has a responsibility to look after. The people that live here and and uh, work here, and I think it's that getting that recognition that we welcome people coming and starting businesses here, but and doing well through business. But we believe very strongly that they they need to put back. So all of the work that we're doing around skills development, making sure that there is a, a real offer for young people growing up in the city, is incredibly important, and that's. Um, an area that we will become even more important as we move out of the pandemic and and understand what the, you know the impact is going to be on on business and employment um, in the city and of course of, as you've said um, the whole transport the infrastructure debate I think what we've managed to achieve over the last few years is is really making sure that the voice of Leeds is heard on a national stage and the significance of Leeds in the North, you know, it, it is right in the center of the North and is incredibly important as a, as a, a, a from that, that um, point of view, but we still haven't had the firm commitment from government about the investment that we've been seeking. So um, obviously I moved on just at the time when we, um, successfully moved forward in the devolution area in West Yorkshire. We now have the mayor of West Yorkshire, Tracy Brabin, and that will bring some differences. But again, it's making sure that Leeds um, really punches its weight and gets noticed on an, on the national stage, um, and um, gets the you know we we continue to make the case for getting the investment that we need in so many different areas. So the the real debate at the moment I guess that's uh, happening at a local level and at a national level is around the um, what the government actually means by leveling up what 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 is it what are they talking about is it just about infrastructure investments or funding going into certain areas or is it about really gripping all of those major problems that um, really hold people and communities back. So we just had the update from Sir Michael Marmot, Marmot yesterday about 
health in the northwest, for example, and we can relate to that right across the north. So what are we going to do about that? And I'm really um, proud of the work that we've done in West Yorkshire on um, tackling health inequalities, bringing all of the partners together. I think we've got a really, really sound model in West Yorkshire that we need to replicate around the country of um, recognising that everyone, so many different um, areas have a responsibility for health improvement. It isn't just about the health service, it's about making sure the relationships with health, local government, um, education, all of those areas really pull together. So huge amounts um, to be proud of, but still, you know, it's very much ongoing. And um, I'm so um, pleased that I was able to hand over to such a strong team behind me. You know, I think that that's um, always a really important part of leadership, you know, nurturing the talent that you've got around you and making sure that they're ready to step up and take it on. And I'm very pleased that in Leeds, that is the case and uh, look forward to some great pieces of work coming out of the new cabinet that's been established. And, um, you know, hopefully we'll continue to work together to make sure that their needs are picked up in Westminster as appropriate. Yeah, there's plenty to do both uh, in, in Leeds and, you know, and, and in, in, in Parliament to uh, tackle some of these big intractable issues. Um, Judith, uh, Baroness Blake of Leeds, thank you. Thank you very much for speaking to us today. Thank you so much, Rob. It's been a pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for listening to Pods in Country. I do hope you've enjoyed what you've heard this week and do leave us a review on whichever service you get your podcasts on if you'd like to hear more from us. And if you have any ideas for things we ought to be discussing, please drop me an email at rob.parsons at jpimedia.co.uk and we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks. Bye-bye.